Welcome to Grain Talk, a podcast by Grain Farmers of Ontario. I'm Rachel Telford. And I'm Paige Miller. The Grain Talk podcast can be found on Apple iTunes, Google Play, and Spotify. Please rate, review, and subscribe on your favorite platform. This podcast is sponsored by Pioneer Canada. In this episode of Grain Talk, we talk about the decision to rent or buy farmland with accountant Tom Blondie and economist Craig Clemmer. And I will have a conversation with Brendan Burney, Chair of Grain Farmers of Ontario's Board of Directors. First, a Grain Talk news update. Grain Farmers of Ontario, Michigan State University, Michigan Wheat Program, the Ontario Ministry of Agriculture, Food and Rural Affairs, and the University of Guelph have launched the Great Lakes Yen, a historic announcement for wheat farmers in the Great Lakes region. The Great Lakes Yen is part of the global group of yield enhancement networks, first initiated nine years ago by ADIS, an independent agricultural and environmental consultancy and provider of rural development and policy advice in the United Kingdom. The Great Lakes Yen project will analyze, measure, and help farmers, agronomists, and researchers understand yield potential and the actual yield of a given field. Every farm involved will share soil, tissue, and whole plant analysis for comparison and benchmarking, which will allow the Great Lakes Yen team to offer better insight into each field's performance. Farmers will learn more about how their wheat crop develops and produces yield and how they compare to their peers. Applications for the 2021-2022 Great Lakes Yen will be accepted as of July 5th. For more information on the Great Lakes Yen project, visit greatlakesyen.com or look for the hashtag Great Lakes Yen. OMAFRA field crop staff lead an annual pre-side-dress nitrate test survey across Ontario to measure nitrate mineralized from soil as an indication of year-to-year soil nitrogen supply. Each spring, 80 to 100 soil samples are collected from fields that have not received nitrogen. Samples are collected just prior to traditional side-dress time, typically in V3, V4 stage. The average PSNT value for 2021 survey was 13 parts per million. This is similar to 2020, which was 14 parts per million, and slightly above the long-term average of 12 parts per million. Full results from this year's PSNT are available at fieldcropnews.com. Ontario farmers require pesticide safety certification to purchase and use Class B and C pesticides on their farms. For farmers whose certification expired on or after January 1st, 2020, and who were unable to renew their certification due to the COVID-19 pandemic, the Ministry of the Environment, Conservation and Parks has extended their certificates until December 31st, 2021. This extension will accommodate those who continue to be unable to renew their certificates, either online or in person and allow Ontario's farmers to continue to purchase and use the products they need for the 2021 growing season. Farmers who are eligible for this extension should have received an email from the ministry. If you did not get this email, you can obtain a copy of the letter on the Ontario Pesticide Education Program website and use this as evidence of the extension. And now we get two different perspectives on the pros and cons of renting versus buying farmland. Be sure to read more about this topic in the latest edition of the Ontario Grain Farmer magazine. Joining me today on the podcast is Principal Economist Craig Clemmer from FCC. Thank you, Craig, for joining us today. Thank you so much for having me. Before we begin, can you tell me a little bit about your role at FCC and what exactly does a Principal Economist do? 
Yeah, so thanks for asking. Uh, my primary role at, at FCC is to monitor risks in the operating environment and try to make sense of what that means for Canadian agriculture, Ontario agriculture, and, and the potential impacts to you know, our customers, um, agriculture producers, and, and just kind of try and make sense of the, the situation overall in general. So it sounds fairly important and kind of a very busy role. Am I, am I right in saying that? Well, definitely busy. It's a lot of fun too. I mean, when you think about the diversity of agriculture across Canada, uh, you think about the diversity of agriculture in Ontario alone. Um, I find it really exhilarating and a lot of fun to be a part of this industry and to be able to look at those different components. And with FCC, we're not only just financing agriculture, but it's also ag business and agri-food. And there's all those things that are happening, whether it's Canadian dollar, interest rates, you know, weather, yields, all that stuff. And I find it just really exciting. And I'm so happy we have this uh, job too. That sounds really cool. You never actually, I know when I think of FCC, I think mostly about farm business, but not really about the other side of it, like the agribusiness and all the other aspects to it. Yeah, it's exciting. Today, we're talking about renting versus buying farmland. Um, And in your opinion, is there one that makes more sense than the other? You know, to be honest, when it comes to renting versus buying, I don't know if there's one makes more sense or the other um, in general. It really depends on the operation and where you are uh, in, in that life cycle. And, um, you know, there's all these other factors. So it's, 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 it's not whether it makes sense to do it or not do it. It's really how does it incorporate into the, to the operation and what are the longer term uh, objectives and plans for, for the operation? So what should farmers think about when it comes to the decision uh, versus renting or buying? Yeah, I mean, if you have the option on a piece of land, and I guess I would start with that. You know, in many instances, when a piece of land comes up for rent, um, you have the ability to rent the land and, and maybe the opportunity to buy isn't there. So, you know, if that piece of land makes a lot of sense into your operation, if it gives you an opportunity for first right of refusal during uh, the potential sale of that land in the long term, uh, obviously it makes a lot of sense to rent that land, uh, providing it fits into your into your um, your, your plan and into your overall strategy as, as a farm operation. That if you have the choice to purchase or or rent, uh, it really comes to how how financially healthy is your operation. Um, do you have sufficient working capital to, uh, you know, if you make this expansion into uh, buying that piece of land and if you're putting 20% down or 25% down to purchase that piece of land, what does that, what's the impact on your financial situation for your farm? Uh, if you're a young farming operation, you know, not very mature, you're, um, you know, trying to expand, for instance, uh, and you really need that that extra cash to to make investments in equipment to to scale up for the for the investments that you're making um, or the land that you're taking on. And then obviously it makes more sense to to rent that land because at the end of the day you want to scale up your operation in a sustainable way that you're going to have sufficient working capital to execute on your strategy, that you're going to be able to implement the marketing plan that you know is best for your operation. Um, and, and if you get to a spot where cash flow is tight, where it's going to be, um, you know, your, your current ratios start looking tight, your ability to service debt is, is uh, compromised. Uh, that's when I say, I would say you got to be cautious about, about that, that purchase versus renting. Um, so that, those would be the situations where I think it makes the most sense to rent land um, as opposed to purchase land. Now, you know, when we get looking those in the dynamics or we look at the cost, um, 
often it's going to cost a bit more money to purchase land versus rent land. Um, when we, we look at that total cost as, uh, as a share of revenue generated from a piece of land to, to finance uh, a piece of land versus renting a piece of land. So, you know, it really comes down, what is the financial position of the farm? Do you have the ability to take on that debt load? Um, or does it make sense to, to lease that land or rent that land um, and, and make it, maybe make that purchase decision uh, a little bit later on the, down on the road? So what is something that you would like farmers to know when it comes to renting or buying farmland? Well, you know, at, at the end of the day, what I think is the most important is, is that you need to make sure you know your numbers and having really good record keeping um, uh, of your financial position and, you know, making sure that you, you know the financial situation of your farm before you're making those decisions is really, really important. Um, what I what always bugs me the most is if you make a decision on the, on the land and it's, um, you know, it's a long-term investment that you can't financially afford. Uh, that that's the worst situation where you're not able to implement the strategy that you know is best for your operation. You are, we you know, whether that's the marketing plan, whether it's future investments in in other in other parts of the operation, future you know investments that you need to make for your family. Um, those things are really important. So making sure that you can actually afford that piece of land is what I think is the most important thing that we need to, to characterize there and, and having that long-term strategy. So, you know, building a business plan is extremely important for making those decisions and, um, and just making sure you're in a comfortable spot when you, when you execute that decision. Um, you know, I guess when it comes to land, when, when we get into a purchasing decision, there's often other buyers and, um, you know, what's that, that emotional attachment to land sometimes forces us to overbuy. And we just don't want to see people overbidding for land beyond what their affordability is and, and that, that it compromises other parts of the operation because of that decision would be the, the kind of the worst case scenario. Do you believe that this, there's kind of a stigma around renting land versus owning land or no? I don't believe there is. You know, when we look at renting versus buying land, um, you know, land is a scarce resource uh, when we think about it in Canadian agriculture and depending on where what province you're in and different times of years. But, you know, the old adage kind of plays through that land comes up for sale every 50 years. So, you know, in an operation, I think it's important that we take on, you know, that we're, we're uh, you know, being responsible with those purchases. And, um, you know, when it comes available in a renting operate, uh, situation or a buying situation, um, it, it makes sense for, for adding that to your farm. Um, it also is a place sometimes that you can make that purchase longer term. Uh, you know, with land, there's so many different circumstances and trying to go through all the different circumstances that kind of come out there and, and try to play those through is very difficult. But I don't believe there's a, a stigma in renting versus buying land. It's really you know, making the decision that's going to make your operation in the best best position to be financially stable for the long term. And, um, you, know, you know, so I, I would argue that it's it's a good business decision and it shows strong management uh, to, to evaluate the numbers and, and look at what makes the most sense for you. That makes a lot of sense. I'm, I'm glad that you believe that there's no stigma. And I think it's it's interesting. And I mean, I've only been in agriculture a few years myself, and I, I've realized a lot of people actually rent versus buy and just so that they can kind of get started on everything and get into the business too. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's, you know, it's, it's really um, just a good business decision for so many operations and, um, and there's lots of different reasons why you would do it. So when do you think it makes the best sense to buy? Yeah. Well, I mean, when it comes to buying, um, you know, 
often you're paying a bit of a premium on the land because there's uh, the investment piece of it that comes into play. Um, so I think it makes the most sense to buy. If, if a piece of land comes available, it fits into your operation and your longer term plans. Uh, you can afford that land, uh, whether it's the returns from that land. If, you're, if it's going to cost more than what the returns are saying for a piece of property, uh, are you willing to subsidize that piece of land from other land that you own? And you need to make that distinction that that's what's occurring. Um, you know, it, it doesn't mean that it's a wrong decision or it's a bad decision for your operation, but it's something that you need to be educated about thinking about when you're moving into that. So, um, you know, just seeing the bigger picture and, and, and understanding the financial implications to your operations. Um, so, you know, there's a number of different factors that come into play. Uh, and, and you just have to evaluate and working with trusted partners, whether it's financial advisors, whether it's, uh, you know, your lender or financial institution, uh, you know, they have a lot of expertise and, and they'll, you know, create, create some effective challenge and, and they know you and your operation. And what does that mean for you? So, you know, having those conversations is probably a good part of this, the, the decision making process as well. And we kind of already touched on the, the when it makes sense to rent land, but do you mind kind of elaborating a little bit more on that one too? Yeah, on the renting land side of things, you know, I would say, you know, the time where you see it happening a lot is if you're a new young operation um, trying to expand or if you're trying to expand quite aggressively where, um, you know, there's an opportunity maybe to rent a, a larger chunk of land. That's going to require quite a bit of uh, additional income or diff additional money to for whether crop inputs or other inputs for that land. Uh, so instead of stretching yourself thin by by having to put uh, a big down payment and, and kind of reducing that working capital, it may make a lot of sense to rent in that situation. Um, yeah, you know, obviously, if you're a young operation and you don't have a lot of working capital, uh, renting land is a great option to expand your land base and uh, and do it at a little bit more reasonable cost. It also makes lots of sense to rent land if it's a play for for future expansion. If you know the neighbor down the road is is looking to uh, retire and, and they're putting their land up for rent, uh, but they're not really ready to sell. Uh, it gives you kind of a, an opportunity in, in many instances for a first right, right of refusal for purchasing that land down the road. So, um, you know, there's a number of different situations. It really depends on where you are in your farm. You know, are you in expansion mode? Are you kind of um, just looking to pick up small pieces in a well-established operation? Um, versus a young young person entering into agriculture or, or trying to aggressively expand your land. Uh, it really life cycle is going to play a big role into what makes the most sense and what those options really are for you. Both both some good pros and cons, I guess, both renting and buying out there. Yeah, I think so. And and really, it's just, I would say at the end of the day, you need to know your the financial health of your operation, know your numbers, whether that's, you know, keeping track of them all the time, working with those those partners, whether it's your accountant, your financial business partner, your lender, uh, to help help process it and, and make sure that uh, that we're making the right decisions for the long-term health of that farm. Well, thank you, Craig, for speaking with me today. I appreciate it. And I know our listeners will too. This has been super insightful on my end. And I definitely think there's some great points out there for our listeners to uh, when they're making that decision between renting or buying their next plot of land. Perfect. Thank you very much for your time and, and have a great day. Looking for good conversation and great agronomic advice. Check out the new Pioneer Made to Grow podcast. 
Each episode, host Andrew Campbell chats with leading agriculture experts about the latest ag innovations, best practices, tips, tricks, and more. In the latest episode, Andrew and his expert guests discuss the value of local breeding and testing in research and development. They touch on some of the latest advancements in corn and soybean breeding and how companies like Pioneer are helping boost yield and performance for growers today and in the future. Jam-packed with actionable information, the Pioneer Made to Grow podcast is a must-listen for Canadian farmers who are always striving to improve their yields. Find it on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Pioneer.com slash Made to Grow, or anywhere you listen to your favorite podcasts. Joining me today on the podcast is Tom Bonney from Baker Tilly, as well as he is the chair of the Wellington County Canadian Association of Farm Advisors. Welcome, Thomas. Thanks to be on the show. Um, so before we begin uh, talking about, you know, rent versus buy, why don't you tell our listeners just a little bit about yourself and what it is you do at Baker Tilly and your role at CAFA? Yeah, so my role at Baker Tilly is a partner, so I'm part owner of the business and our firm has a number of farms as clients. And my role with CAFA is twofold. I'm first the chap, the chair of the Wellington County uh, CAFA chapter. I'm also the treasurer for CAFA National. So what is, I guess, for those who don't know or some that may have my questions, what is CAFA exactly? Yeah, so CAFA is a Canadian Association of Farm Advisors. It's a not-for-profit organization of professionals across Canada that uh, advise farmers. So that would include accountants like myself, lawyers, financial advisors, um, bankers, basically anybody that's in an advisory position when it comes to business matters and, and primary production agriculture. Interesting. So today we're going to be talking a little bit about renting versus buying when it comes to fine farmland. Uh, and with that, I'm going to jump right into my first question. So when it comes to renting or buying, is there one that makes more sense than the other? It's really dependent on each farm. You can't say that one is better than the other or makes more sense than the other because everybody's situation is different. So it really depends on what you're needing to do uh, with the, the property and what your own individual situation is. Um, so just as an example, with renting farmland, you have the ability to rent a lot more acres of farmland than you could otherwise purchase. And so if you're wanting to take advantage of economies of scale and not, um, not have to be burdened with a lot of debt, then renting makes sense. Um, on the other hand, buying allows you to secure pieces of property that you do want and need for your operation. And it also is a form of forced savings because you're making those payments every month, part of which goes to principal and that farmland belongs to you. So if you're wanting to build up equity and guarantee access to that land, then buying, for example, makes more sense. Because if you're renting a piece of property, it doesn't belong to you someday, that could be rented to somebody else if you don't own it. So it really comes down to what you're needing to do, like whether it's more important for you to have access to as much land as possible with your cash flow, or whether you do want to build up the equity and guarantee access to individual pieces of land, that's generally the difference between renting and buying. 
Interesting. So um, what are the benefits when it comes to renting versus renting or buying when uh, tax season comes around? I know that's a big question for a lot of farmers is how do I, you know, get the best of return or, and, and that kind of thing. So if we're just focusing on tax related issues alone and disregarding everything else, rent is unlike a mortgage payment, hundred percent deductible. So whatever you spend in rent, you get as a deduction. If you're buying a piece of property, the interest component is deductible, but the principal is not. And one of the advantages of that reality is that with, with rent, you can actually prepay rent. And therefore, for example, if you're in a high income year, you could pay for this year's rent and also for next year's and get the entire deduction this year and, and take advantage of accelerating the write-off and you do not have that ability with mortgage payments. It's a, it's generally a fixed amount every month or annually, semi-annually that you're required to pay. And then that's the deduction that you get. Some other um, matters associated with tax benefits related to land that you own is that you can write off tile drainage and land clearing hundred percent. So assuming that your property needs that kind of work anyways, you can write off those expenses. If you're renting property, that land belongs to somebody else. And most of the time you don't want to make capital improvements like that, tile drainage. And so you can sometimes factor that into the amount of rent that you pay and encourage your landlord to make those investments, but you're not getting a deduction for tile drainage and, and clearing. So that's, that's the major difference between the two, like the rent being a deduction right away and um, owning a piece of property, you, you can just deduct a portion of what you're paying every, every month. Um, one thing to keep in mind about that, so generally speaking, when you first buy a piece of land, it's a big mortgage payment that you have that's mostly going towards interest. So it's mostly gonna be a write-off to start out with, but over time, more of that payment it's going towards principal versus interest. And as a result, those write-offs go down over time. So in the early days, you might get more of a write-off from buying a piece of property because the interest is going to be a pretty large number, especially what land is worth today. But the rent stays a fixed amount uh, generally. And, um, and so over time, you're still getting those write-offs for rent, but you're not getting those write-offs um, as principles paid down on own land. Yeah, I, uh, speaking of principal, I realized that as I currently pay off my student loan and I watch the interest rate drop and I look at what, what principal is and I'm like, oh, you know, that would have been really great come tax season, but now there's less of it, which is great because I'm paying it down. But other yeah. than that, it's a, uh, yeah. So I completely understand that, that aspect of it. So. What is what should farmers think about when it comes to the decision of renting or buying, other than just you know tax season? Yeah, well, there's there's four things um, that, in my opinion, are are the most important things to consider. You know, the decision of renting versus buying. So, the most important thing I I think is will I be able to generate enough cash flow from what I'm doing on my farm? to cover off either those mortgage payments or those rent payments. And the way we would figure that out is we would look at what 
we're generating historically as far as income is concerned, looking at what the yields would be for a typical year input, input costs and commodity prices. If you're a cash cropper, we know that prices go up and down. Some years are better than others when it comes to yield. Input costs can go up and down as well. And you won't know exactly what your cash flow is going to be every year, but you can estimate it within a range. And by doing that analysis with your own operation, you can figure out what you can afford. So with any decision, when it comes to buying versus renting farmland, you got to do that analysis first to figure out how much cash you have and then work backwards from there. Um, so that's, that's in the case of a cash cropper, especially, um, but even if you're a livestock producer and you're using the land to produce feed, um, you can still do an analysis as to how much am I saving by producing my own feed on my own land, whether I'm renting it or buying it versus purchasing, purchasing feed. So, so either way, that's the first calculation you have to do is figure out what you can afford whether you be saving money or making more income by having this extra land and then you decide uh, whether it makes more sense to purchase or rent so for for purchase land you know the commitment is is greater the mortgage payments are going to be higher than rented land for rented land you can usually rent land one year and then the next year maybe not rent, rented. I mean, you may have a contract that says that you've agreed to a certain amount of time, five years or whatever it is to rent that property, but it's much easier to get out of a rental contract and rapidly increase or decrease your land base uh, with rented property versus purchase land where you're making a pretty serious commitment there to actually purchase that property with the larger mortgage payments versus rent payments. And, you know, you have to make a few decisions with regards to what your interest rate is, what your mortgage terms are. You need to shop around for the best interest rate and look at worst case scenarios, like if the interest rate goes down, whether I can afford this property or, or not. So in the case of purchase land, there's a lot more, um, there are a lot more variables involved and, and in some cases more risk involved versus renting property. Interesting. Um, what, what's your best piece of advice when it comes to renting versus buying for farmers? I, I think the most important thing in regards to this decision is having a good understanding of your cash flow. So looking at what you're able to generate, as I mentioned before, in an average year, and maybe also looking at best and worst case scenarios, like if yields were to go down to a level that is less than your five-year average or if interest rates were to increase or commodity prices were to decline um, whether you would be able to afford whatever you're committing to whether it's renting or or buying so it comes down to having a really clear understanding of your financial reality here looking at those best and worst case scenarios and then working backwards from there. <laughs> um, is there anything that you wish I would have asked you about renting versus buying that I didn't get to? Yeah, um, just one thing that I meant to mention it before. Um, when, when you're buying land, um, and that land includes buildings and equipment, you can break out a portion of those buildings and equipment to 
to write off a capital cost allowance, essentially the depreciation of those uh, buildings and equipment over a period of time. Whereas the land component, like the pure real estate component, you're, you don't get any ongoing write-offs for that. So kind of goes back to what you asked me before about tax benefits of renting versus buying. With buying land, it's, it's pretty much the mortgage interest and the property tax, and that's it with regards to write-offs, unless you can carve out some amount there for buildings and equipment. The pure land component, there's, there's no more write-offs than that. So once your land is, is paid off, you've pretty much just got property tax as a write-off there. So, so again, if you're only looking at, at write-offs, renting provides you with more of a benefit than purchasing land in the long term. <clears throat> Interesting. So I guess in terms of it's completely different than renting or leasing your uh, equipment, correct? Yeah. Well, when it comes to renting equipment versus renting land, it's, it's the same write-off. It's the same uh, amount of deduction that, that you get. I mean, obviously the amount that you're paying in rent is part of that equation, but um when it comes to on the purchase side of things, like if you buy a piece of equipment, you do get a write-off for that equipment depreciating over a period of time, which you don't get with farmland. So a lot farmland stays stays at the price that you paid for it, and it's only a gain or loss when you eventually sell that piece of land. Right. Oftentimes, and I've seen this in my own career with some of the clients I've dealt with, if you're a long-term renter then that often gives you or puts you in a good position to be able to buy that property at a later date so if you have a good relationship with your landlord if you've been renting that land for many many years your landlord likes you personally they like how you've taken care of the land it, it would put, put you oftentimes in a good position to not only to be able to buy that land eventually but maybe even get a better deal than, than you would otherwise. In, in some cases, a landlord might be willing to sell a piece of property for far less than fair market value, not put it on the market to the farmer that, that they're renting to because they trust them and you've built that long-term relationship. So oftentimes a rental relationship will, will allow you to purchase that property and, and build equity on the buying side, even if it's not available immediately. So that's something to keep in mind. You know, you're looking at two pieces of property and one of them's a property that you can only rent, but you like better than the other property that you can buy. You might still decide to rent that property and cultivate that relationship with the landlord to hopefully put you put yourself in a position to buy that property that you like better anyways than the other property that you could have bought. So it's just something else I wanted to add uh, to this discussion here. Yeah, you know what? I've seen a lot of uh, conversations on Twitter um, about the rent versus buy. And if you know your landlord and when your landlord decides to sell, it's, it's having that relationship that kind of makes that that much better and gives you that opportunity to potentially buy that in the future. So with that, uh, Tom, thank you so much for taking the time out of your day to sit down and chat with me about renting versus buying. I appreciate it. No problem at all.
Joining us for an update this week on the Grain Talk podcast is Brendan Burney. He is the chair of Grain Farmers of Ontario's Board of Directors. Thanks for joining us, Brendan. No problem at all. Let's start with a little bit of chat uh, about the weather and spring planting. Um, I know that uh, lots of crops are in the ground. Things are wrapping up, although some farmers have had to do some replanting in the last couple of weeks due to frost and, and not exactly the best of weather conditions. What can you tell us about what you know has been happening in the fields? Yeah, it's certainly unfortunate some of the weather patterns that have came through. I know for Essex County, we were uh, we were very cool and then kind of cold overnight for quite a while there in April and into May. And then we finally got mid-May, the weather broke. We had a nice week of planting where pretty much everything got in the ground and and things are are emerging now and, and looking okay and corn's getting side-dressed. And it's But it is tough to see, especially in this social media world where you can kind of see the posts that are happening in different farmers fields. I know for a lot of people, the, the crops went in well, uh, but then there was also other areas that uh, they went in well, but then they got the frost, like you say, which uh, I know in some cases the crops were able to work their way out. And then in other cases they needed to be replanted. Uh, so it's been kind of a different weather pattern across the, the province as per usual. I know in our area, we've got kind of adequate rain, um, nothing exceptional, but then other areas uh, in the far east uh, are certainly struggling. So we uh, we certainly keep all of our farmer members uh, in mind during the season and, and hope for the best, but the weather is uh, the one variable we have no control over. I think I've even seen a couple of images of flooded fields uh, on Twitter. So I'm not quite sure where those were from, if those were Ontario or other parts of the world, but definitely a challenge with, with the weather this spring. Yeah, I know uh, even one of our board members there, Jeff Barlow, had posted a picture because uh, I think he got, it was like an inch and a half or something like that in 20 minutes. Uh, so he was showing the the water running off the field. Uh, and then I've spoken with, uh, like I say, Marcus uh, Hurl and let's say Jeff Harrison up in the eastern areas where uh, a lot of the rain that seems like it's maybe coming in their direction uh, all of a sudden doesn't materialize. And and that's certainly tough on on everybody. I mean, we've been there in, in Essex County where we've not finished planting till the first week in July because we had so much rainfall um, and then had the ground pressed off. So we make sure that we, we do point out to our farmer members in any way that we can help in terms of remedying any situations that do arise. We're, we're certainly open to, to helping in the conversation. Uh, the mother nature piece is that one uh, variable, obviously, like I said, that we, we can't control. But if there is anything we can help uh, with, whether it's crop insurance or different things like that, we're certainly open to having those talks. But uh, uh, I know we had a crop update at the board table yesterday and it uh, was variable across the province uh, as per usual so if you're in that spot now we certainly uh, feel your pain and uh, at the same time we kind of mention sometimes those stresses uh, do lead to uh, mental health stresses and everything else so there are some some resources I know on the website that if anybody does encounter that over the growing season or heading into summer fall uh, uh, there's certainly some resources and you're not alone in some of that. I think that's a great point, Brendan. Thank you for bringing that up. Yes, gfo.ca and in our farmer wellness section, people can find some important links that they can perhaps make use of if they are struggling a bit with uh, the situations that they're in. Um, You know, 
one of the other things that we often can't control is the government and government regulations. But we have seen um, a little bit of movement on the um, uh, carbon tax and grain drying in, in particular. What can you tell us as an update about what's been happening with grain dryers? Sure. I think uh, the one piece that I've been putting out as well lately in some of my talks with government is that farmers plant in the spring with hope um, for the fall. And in this case, the one variable that's out there that is still kind of lingering is that, that carbon tax piece on grain drying. And we've had some pretty good discussions in the last uh, couple weeks here. Um, and what we basically want to make sure that people know is we are still pushing for that bill uh, C206 or 206C for the grain drying exemption. Um, that is our preferred mechanism in all of this. Uh, but certainly with uh, the existing federal government, they've announced a rebate. Uh, the details of that are kind of forthcoming, but we've been trying to, to push hard on that, that this rebate, uh, it needs to be sizable. It needs to be easy for our farmer members to access, and it needs to be timely. So we need to have this sooner rather than later to make sure that, that everybody understands what uh, the qualifications and everything are for the fall, because who knows what the summer will bring. We could have corn coming out of the field uh, dry-ish, or we could have corn coming out of the field at 30% that needs a significant amount of drying. And we want to, to make sure that our farmer members have some certainty with how that's going to, to play out in terms of when they pull the combine in the field, they know, okay, the, the rebate works this way, or the, uh, the exemption bill is passed. Uh, I know it is moving forward. Um, sometimes the wheels in government work a little slower than we would like, but uh, there has been some good discussion on that exemption piece and we're hopeful for a fall uh, delivery on that, but uh, it's still got a ways to go. And while we're, I guess we're kind of working both sides to try to make sure that people understand what it's like on the farm to, to pull that crop out of the ground and, and realize the significant costs that are going to go into drying it. Uh, so that's been our communication right now. We'll continue that. I know I've got a couple meetings coming up here shortly with uh, some MPs as well to kind of relay that uh, and we're trying to to hit as many areas as we can to provide that understanding. What do you think is the I guess maybe misunderstanding or or I guess the hardest thing for our government officials to understand about the situation surrounding grain drying? Well I think in some cases it is like we've talked about prior that uh, if, if you don't actually work in the industry uh, it's you're you're kind of making making up a set of parameters from somewhere that, that maybe is in a city and maybe doesn't have that rural touch point. Uh, in this case, uh, some of the, the discussions that are out there are, are not happening from a, a farm level. They're happening from kind of a bureaucratic government level and having the understanding that, that drying the, the corn down provides it to, to be able to then stored and, and continued usage and by planting full season crops, we get the, the most possible food uh, out of the ground and, and we continue that safe food supply. Some of those pieces just need to be hit on and, and an understanding. I know in some of the talks that I had, there was kind of a, a wondering why you would even have to ever do this. Uh, and then once you kind of explain it and you explain that our farmer members can't pass this along to anybody else, we're at the, the bottom of that chain, if you will, and it's simply a, an additional cost to them um, that they can't pass on. So it comes out of family farms. It comes out of the, the pockets of the rural community. 
Uh, once you start to have those discussion discussions, there are sometimes kind of aha moments of, okay, I, I didn't know that, or I, I didn't uh, fully understand. So the more that we can do that, the better. And I've put it uh, out there that anything that involves our, our farmer members, I, I would like to be at the table for those discussions to try to provide clarity and to help. And uh, so far our, our GR department and some of the partners we've worked with have been very good at, uh, at getting some of those meetings in place and we look forward to more of them. Now there was an announcement about grain dryers. Can you give people an update on what's happening there? Yeah, there, there was an announcement, uh, not a lot of clarity around the announcement, but uh, an announcement with regards to, to upgrading grain dryer equipment uh, for efficiency's sake. And I know that we've had talks with government and pointed out that a lot of our, our farmers are already up to speed and, and have brought that to their farms already. But uh, we're looking at, we don't have a lot of details. I know it's a cost sharing program and you have to spend a certain amount of money to get uh, some back. But the actual full details and the intake, it sounds like that'll be uh, later on or, or end of this month. So I just encourage people that if they're in that situation where they, they think there might be some money to, to get by upgrading a system that they were already looking at doing or just saying, you know what, this, this works for our farm to, to keep an eye out. And we'll certainly uh, post uh, our social media accounts as well as uh, an email update or our newsletter will have it uh, as to when those uh, intake pieces open up and, and applications can start so that we get in uh, as soon as possible for those that are looking to participate. Well, thank you very much for taking the time to talk with us today. Uh, we appreciate it and, and good luck this summer with your crops. No problem at all anytime. And, uh, and yeah, good luck to, to everybody across the province, hopefully for some timely rains that come through and, and good weather from here till, uh, till harvest time. Thank you for listening to our Grain Talk podcast. I hope you enjoyed the conversation. For more ways to connect with us, including the latest webinar, market report, and our e-newsletter, go to gfo.ca slash grain talk. A special thank you to our guests this week, Tom Blondie, Craig Clemmer, and Brendan Burney. If you've liked what you've heard today, please rate, review, and subscribe on Apple iTunes, Google Play, and Spotify. And remember, five-star reviews help us grow our audience.